Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, the rebirth of the private cloud with special guest, Sam Sicola, CTO of Department of Defense at HPE. Thank Sam, you. Sam, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Hey, we are broadcasting from the show floor at um, Cyber Tech, Tech yeah. Summit, right? Um, first time I've done it at this show. Okay. How's so it? It's working out well. I will find out. <laughs> we'll find out how, the, how this goes. It might be too noisy. We'll we'll give it a shot and, right. and see how things go. Sam, first off, tell my audience a little bit about yourself and your background, um, and then uh, why in the world we would talk about cloud. Absolutely. Good morning. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Sam Sicola here. I'm uh, HPE's Department of Defense CTO. Uh, I also lead our CTO team for our public sector business. I've been with the company now approximately 20 years. I uh, have a background in a lot of solution engineering, um, going back a long time to multiple degrees in the business. Um, love what I do and supporting the uh, DoD customer and and you know helping them solve problems. So you've seen a huge change over the last 10 years on going into the cloud, mm -hmm. coming back out of the cloud, and so. Give me your take on on cloud technology. Well, I, I think you know you have to look at it first from a commercial perspective, and and our commercial customers, um, and because what we've seen with those them, you know, are leading the trends of repatriation. Uh, the majority of the, the initial repatriation for commercial customers, and we're going back now to 2016, 2017, when this really started in the commercial world. Um, was for financial reasons. You know, there there were there were between, you know, leaving VMs on in, or workloads on in different cloud environments to the egress charges. Um, you know, the budgeting for um, hyperscale or workloads can be tough if not handled correctly. And, and then from there, you know, we started to see other repatriation regions, whether that be. Uh, data, data sovereignty or data security being concerns, um, performance and latency, uh, you know, and uh, you know, something as simple as, you know, and we get this question all the time, you do a backup of as, as a service where the control plane is sitting in a hyperscaler, you know, what happens if I need to restore my data and I lost my connection to the internet? Yeah. So, yeah. So there's so so series of reasons. Yeah, series of reasons. So moving to the cloud, all the promises of the cloud never came to fruition or they kind of did oh, or it depends yeah you know, i actually i think i think a majority of them did to be honest with you and, and you have to look at what they are to, to really understand that concept right okay you know uh, you you talk about cloud agility the ability to deploy thousands of virtual cpus in in days and minutes what what you know in a short time frame you know uh, that is you know we if if I if I date myself for a minute and you go back to the '90s and, and you think of there was a concept back then called shadow IT, right? I was part of that. You and me both. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, I went and, to Fry's Electronics, bought myself an HPE tower or HP right? tower at the time, jammed it under my desk, and I didn't have to talk to IT that way. Exactly. Right? Well, 
we saw the same thing with moving to the commercial cloud. Of course, yeah. yeah but for the, some of the same reasons. But I got it even faster. Right, but I got it even faster. So, so you know, I think, yes, a lot of the promises came true, but nobody understood the risks or the challenges. You know, with everything we do in yeah. this business, there's a plus and a minus to everything you do. And what we do for a living is try to solve problems around those minuses in order to have a better solution. Yeah. You know, and, and that's when we look at HP GreenLake, right? HP GreenLake, you know, really, if I look back, took hold in 2005. We didn't call it GreenLake at the time, but by HP at the time, it was an HP, HP winning the first capacity services contract at DISA where they procured oh. things from us as a service. And to this day, for the last 17 years over multiple contracts, every server in a DISA environment running Intel is procured by DISA, not as a CapEx procurement, but as a, as a service procurement. Well, so this is an old model. And that mainframes did the same thing, right? Right. Zero, time slicing, yeah. Yeah, you can even go to... Uh, Xerox, and you paid for how many copies you made? Right. That was capacity. Right. That, that was, was capacity. consumption as consumption a service. Consumption as a service. Right. Yeah. Old model, people. Old model. But you know, then it becomes how you implement it, right? Okay. So you know, and, and one of the things we targeted with GreenLake is back when we started. Actually, the back then in 2005, it was just a financial model. And really, till 2012, it was just a financial model. Um, about the 2014-15 timeframe, HP, HP, HPE started on the creation of a control plane. Because for any cloud environment, one of the requirements is a self-service portal. Right. Um, and yeah, you know, and every everybody has one. Uh, and all of the hyperscalers have one. But if we were going to be a cloud service provider, and which is our core business today. We needed that self-service portal. Um, and that's what's running today, either hosted in a commercial cloud environment for our commercial customers or in a completely disconnected environment for our DoD customers where no connection to the um, public internet is needed. So the concentration is, the self-service portal is just one piece of it, right? In order to be a cloud service provider, you need to clearly meet the NIST definition of cloud, which is very easily highlighted yes. in special publication yep. 800145. There's five computing characteristics, such as rapid elasticity, right, mm -hmm. being another one. So, you know, we approach rapid elasticity. You know, we need to be able to do it. And, you know, just like we said, one of the benefits of the commercial cloud or a FedRAMP cloud or whatever it is, is that rapid elasticity, is the ability to deploy things quickly. So what HPE does for our customers, because it's all on-prem at this point, um, we put additional hardware out there, hot, able to run in a minute's notice, that the customer doesn't pay for unless they consume. It's a consumption-based model. So it's a consumption-based model. So we're able to provide not just the self-service portal, but also a rapid, rapid elasticity, broad network access, 
metering and monitoring, and I'm missing one because I always forget one because I'm an old guy. But but all those five characteristics of cloud computing are provided in a GreenLake environment. So th this is really interesting because what you guys have basically said is to the hyperscalers, we can do that on-prem. We can do that on-prem, but, but, but let's be clear. Yes, it, it's one of those things where there, there are frenemies, if you like a bit well, better word. Well, yeah, because you still need them for some things, Well, right? and, and we partner with them, right? Okay. Uh, so in our self-service portal called, called GreenLake Disconnected or GreenLake Connected, you have the ability not just to go and provision your virtual machines or your containers or your HPC environment on site, but you also have to have the ability to provision an Amazon image or a or Okay, or, so you're doing multi-cloud. We are doing multi-cloud or a Google or, or an Azure workload as well. And then furthermore, you have the ability to do true hybrid workloads. So I can have a workload that's span that's running on prem mm -hmm. and also part of it running out in Right. In the hyperscale. And then cloud. I support what's called multi-cloud attestation, which provides a zero trust architecture, not just to what's on premise, but to integrate in with the, the environments running in, in the hyperscalers. But it, it gets even more um, robust. So you're handling that. the security, because that's another hard part with yes. cloud is, um, on-prem has a security model, AWS has a security model, Azure has one, Oracle has one, Google has one, and they're not all the same. And, and independently of GreenLake, try to get an, M, an AMI to deploy in GCP. Oh, no, it's no, you not can't. It's not going to yeah. work, yeah. because that security model is not the same, among other things. So, okay. so yeah, so we, we, are, we have an... A, Agnostic security engine. It's called Security Central, for lack of a better word, because we know how <laughs> I to. I love market. HP's naming of things. Yeah, they just make it. Yeah, it's Security Central. What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> that um, implements uh, uh, two technologies that are related, called uh, open source technologies called Spiffy and Spire. Uh, I like those names. Those are cool. Have you familiar with them? Yeah. Okay. So you know, says um, and and supports multi-cloud attestation as well as you know zero trust architectures within any independent cloud as well. You don't need to do just multi-cloud. But I wanted to double click on the hybrid workloads that we support, because it's not just yeah, workload I mean, A talking to workload B in two different clouds. Let's take, an, let's take an example of a concept called cloud adjacent storage. I was gonna say, storage and data is probably the hardest part of mm -hmm. a hybrid cloud and a multi-cloud. Because of egress costs. Well, it is, and because of latency. And well, yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah, so egress costs are the financial boundary, and uh, and latency becomes a technical barrier. Uh, so the concept of cloud adjacent storage is that I can run my workload, my compute, if you will, in a hyperscaler, but I leave all my storage on premise inside the guns, guards, and gates of a DoD I, data center. I've, I've been proposing that that idea of because uh, yeah that's use the hyperscalers for bursting or for special workloads right. but i don't need to send all my data there correct and, th and if you think about it we I, I talked about earlier how you know we spent our lives solving adding things to our solutions to solve challenges that the customer has on top of something else well 
Think of what I talked about in a GreenLake environment on-premise. I put 20% additional hardware out there to give the customer the ability to auto-scale and, and burst within the limits of my 20%. But in the environments that I serve in the Department of Defense, if stuff goes bad in the world real quickly, they're going to need a lot more than 20% and quicker than I can get hardware. Yeah, yeah. So I need to give them the ability to not just scale into my 20%, but through my 20%. Up to two or 300%. Into the hyperscaler, and, and that's what we support. And the only way that's supportable, because in that environment, before that bursting starts to happen, all my data's sitting on premise in a data center. So if I scale in that fashion, those workloads that burst into a hyperscaler need to be able to reach back and access the data that they need. Right. need. I'm not gonna move terabytes and terabytes of data because of egress charges. It's, Security, and then when you get OCONUS, data sovereignty becomes yeah, an issue. Yeah, data sovereignty is an issue, yeah. an issue. So I can keep it all in a government data center on U.S. soil all the way around the world, and I can give them the robustness to burst into a hyperscaler when and if needed. And and that bursting, does, can that happen automatically, or is it taking human intervention? No, it's it's all, it's all, it's all cloud automation. See, that's where I, I see us moving on that operational side is... I've got to figure out how to do this with less people Yes. instead of having to hire more people yes. to, to do it. Because a lot of people are thinking, okay, now you're saying I have to have an admin for on-prem, mm -hmm. I need an admin for AWS, I need an admin for Azure, and an admin for Google. Well, and that's the multi-cloud multi portal of GreenLake. Yeah. I have one interface to work with an AMI, to work with a GCP image, to work with an So I don't need an expert in each of the clouds. I need a expert in systems. It's all about consolidating silos, right? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I mean, that's the oversimplification of it. As, and, and, that, and that's what we've we done. But I, I want to take it a step further. Okay. Because, you know, toward, to, to, to date, our, our talk has been about hyperscalers and data centers. Right. right. But what about the edge? Especially in the DOD world, you know. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And, and COVID kind of exposed right. this even more. Um, and, and I've asked that question to people, where is your data? Oh, <laughs> right. Especially like this recording that we're doing, or if we record on Zoom, where's that Zoom recording where's at? Where's it going, yeah. Where's the team's recording at? Or, hey, I sent this, we're, we're, we've lost control of our data yes. across the edge, and then, well, which cloud is it in? Well, I don't even know. Well, oh, it's a SaaS solution. Well, they switched the cloud service providers last week. It's no longer in Amazon, it's now in right. Alibaba. Oh my goodness, I can't have that stuff in, in China, right? right? Oh, or and, better, the case and, be. and better yet, especially in the commercial world, not so much in the IL-5, IL-6 world, you know, what other tenants are running in that environment? Yeah. There's, I mean, example, there's a lot of um, cyber currency that China runs that is sitting in AWS. So... Maybe they're using it as sidecar attacks and, and trying to mine other data. Yeah, but who yeah, knows? Who knows? Yeah. Would, would, do you want to put it past them? <laughs> no, yeah, they're smart. They're so. So when you talk about the the cloud now extends out to the edge. Yes, and, and there and there's a couple models for that 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 we support and that need to be supported. Yeah, one is a connected model, right? I mean, yeah. think about even an Oconus 
data center, if you will, that being, let's say, Ford Island, uh, you know, to put it in DISA words, um, since we're here at their, con at yeah. their conference, uh, or, or even a further edge of camp poster station or tent or however, a tank, you know, however far you want to go about, you know, so those environments are, once you get to the further edge, you're in what's, what's called the DDL environment. Yes, right? I'm very so, familiar with DDL right. now. So the intermittent, disconnected intermittent latency, intermittent latency. So you need to be able to run in a connected environment, but then you also need to be able to run you when know. those become disconnected. And then when you reconnect, you can't overwhelm the network. Can't over so you have to have network prioritization of traffic yeah. for synchronization yeah. purposes, exactly. Um, and there's some, you know, there's some very good technology out there today, one of them being the Esmeral data fabric that HP has that allows for that connection and the prioritization of data when things need to move back and forth. You know, the, the, the first challenge with the edge um, before you can even deploy a cloud is being able to have data center capable hardware out there that can run in a swap optimized size, weight, and power with the proper cooling and things like that. And and that's something that we've done well together with the Edgeline 8000. Yeah, yeah, that's right, I was yeah, gonna I mean, say. That is, that is uh, joint R&D between Intel and HPE, and, and that is what is supporting the, the edge clouds that we're doing all the way from you know, a VM as a service environment to a 5G in a box environment to CSFC solutions for that com. So there, there's a lot that is robust now out at the edge. Then, but then you, then you- But I still have to manage applications yes. at the edge. I still have to manage the data at the edge. You have and to be able I to, have to patch it. I have to do all the things I would normally do in the data center as well. Correct. And that's easy when you're connected. Yeah, but not so easy when, when you're, you're not. disconnected. Yeah. So, you know, the, the challenge has been is how do you create a um, AI-driven automation that can live out at the edge? And I'm going to use a word I absolutely hate, which is self-healing. Uh, but... But, but you need it, though. But, but it's, it's a concept everybody understands. So yeah. how, how do you deploy that self-healing environment that can apply the firmware patches and the vulnerability remediations? And that's something we do. We have auto-remediation. You know, it, certainly we can do man-in-the-middle remediation as well, but... So, so would you say with, like, EdgeLine, when you, when you have the edge out there, and I'm going to fold this into my multi-hybrid cloud environment... Mm -hmm. Does it require me to connect to the data center, to the ed, or to the cloud? Does it matter, or is it just now become part of this big amorphous computing hub and data hub of? It, it ultimately depends on the solution. So I, I, I tell you, you know, all of the, all the possible. We've got some out there that never connect. Yeah, you know, oh. because of. Security the, the workloads yeah, they're yeah, running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can leave it at that. Most of them do get at least intermittent connectivity, so that we can push patches and things like that down. Um, and then you know, I have some customers that are using it in their in their data centers to keep auto synchronized with the cloud. And then when we'll just so something happens, they need to go mobile. They take it, put it in the go. back of the Humvee, and go. Gotcha. So, so, so this is really interesting because that's like a, a mobile 
hybrid cloud it all is, of a sudden. Yeah, well, right? when, when, you have, when you have something that supports 160 cores of Intel processing with six terabytes of memory, 120 terabytes of storage in a, you know, in a, a you know basically a one-person carry of 45 <laughs> pounds, it's a data center. Yeah, it's a data center on someone's backpack. Right, and the other the other beauty of it is because it's the way it's architected using, you know, uh, Xeon processors and all basically the ProLiant DNA that we have in our data centers. I don't have to worry, or the customer doesn't have to worry about taking an application that's running on a DL380 and moving it to an edge line and having to re-architect it because they only have four, you know, four. Xeon D CPUs yeah. versus 40, or cores, sorry, versus 40 is Xeon scalable cores, right? It does, it's the same architecture. They can move workloads. So workloads are more forth. dynamic yes. than, than before. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you solve the problem of, of moving workloads between the hyperscalers and on-prem? Because the hyperscalers, they all use a different... Yeah. Um, Oh, hi, uh, hypervisor, right? Yeah, well, and, yeah. And and I can't really just take a a running VM instance that's running in AWS and pull it on prem. It's, yeah, you can't do it. You can't. Um, and we have without a, jumping through a lot of hoops, and it's not instantaneous. So, so from a virtual machine perspective, because depending on what technology you're using, it's a little bit different. Right. Uh, HP about two years ago bought a company called Zerto. Okay, I remember and, that. And what Zerto, Zerto, that is what, from a virtual machine perspective, moving VMs and reconfiguring networks as, as you move the VMs and everything along with that, um, whether that be compute VMs or storage, virtual, virtual storage, it, that's what Zerto specializes in. So that, that helps with all that complexity of moving that workload between yeah. hypervisor on-prem even out to the It's edge. also very good at moving something like a... Uh, AMD workload to an Intel workload because it abstracts out the... You can do it that way, but you can't go the other way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can't move an Intel workload to an AMD workload. Uh, I got to support all my partners. Yeah, but I know. I get it. But, 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 hey, yeah. I, hey, I get paid by Intel. <laughs> there so. there you go. <laughs> don't you do that. Don't, don't you move <laughs> workloads off of Intel, right? But, no, but, but I get it. The yeah. portability is important. It is. It, it is. It, especially, why is the portability important? It's about mission outcomes. Yes, yes, it's exactly. All, it's not about cost. I mean, cost is a driver, latency is a driver, no, but, but the most important thing is that workload be in the right place at the right time to support the mission. You don't want a warfighter sitting there watching a spinning exactly. download button. You don't. Exactly. Or I'm spinning this up. You got to get rid of that. I, yeah. I, gotta, I, I, I need to move the workloads to where the data is collected, and they need to be able to work autonomously, in a, in a disconnected cloud, dis, that's why we disconnected GreenLake and the Edgeline 8000 are a perfect pair. Awesome. This has been wonderful. I appreciate the time today. Really, thank you. No, this I, I'm learning new things. It's great. And new things, um, hopefully you guys learned something uh, new on the show today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, Give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.